acquaintances and friends and foes and whoever's out there listening and watching. Hopefully no foes. Uh, we're back with your favorite podcast of the week. This is Location Weekly. It's episode number 580. And we are recording on uh, live on August the 1st. Uh, yes, the month has turned. It's a new month. For those who are uh, up here in Canada, where I am, it's a national holiday across the country. Um, it's kind of a weird one because it's it's like, I, I call it the made-up holiday. It's uh, the first Monday of you know, every August, but in every province in our country, it's it's called something slightly different. So we have it nationally, but in BC, you know, they call it something different than they do here in Ontario and so on. So it's more of a provincial holiday that everybody celebrates across all the provinces. But anyways, whatever, happy, whatever it is that you're celebrating this 1st of August. Um, how are you, Brianna? I am good. Yes. And it is very much August. I can't believe the summer has flown by, but here we are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's also like less than 24 hours from the Major League Baseball trade deadline. So that's also really important stuff. Very important. Yes. Yeah. Very important stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just read like literally seconds before we, we started here that the Yankees are acquiring Frankie Montas from Oakland. So their number one pitcher. So because the Yankees need another pitcher, right? So I hear. I mean, they're just doing so terribly this year. Yeah. Anyways. All right. Well, switching over to the stuff that you're tuning in for, and that is Location Weekly. We have four stories for you uh, as per usual this week. And uh, we'll just jump into it. I'll let Abriana start us off. All right. Well, I would assume that many of our listeners, as well as you and I, Asif, um, are guilty of occasional late nights in the office and maybe being overworked. I think a lot of us have definitely been working harder throughout this whole work from home uh, phase than we did before. But noticing this, Heineken had a fun guerrilla marketing campaign that ran here recently in New York City. And they were really seeking out those late night office workers, you know, those that are working towards deadlines, or maybe they're just workaholics. And you know, the cleaning crew was there and they are still plugging away in front of their computers. And so what they did is they created some messaging um, with a satirical bottle opener called The Closer, um, which was very fun. There's lots of fun videos if you haven't seen this advertising yet, which really is like addressing the increasing demands this always on work culture that we are in. And um, they projected the closer and, you know, kind of like, hey, it's time to close it down onto the sides of these lonely office buildings where they would see lights on, you know, in this random office or that random office and projecting right outside of it. Um, so they would say, hey, you know, it's kind of like time to shut it down. And, you know, they're really just trying to promote that work-life balance, surrounding yourself in a disconnected way with friends and family and a beer. Um, and they did this in collaboration with Publicis Agency. So I think this is super fun and um, kitschy and just smart idea to kind of, uh, you know, blast these digital images right outside of these office buildings, you know, in a somewhat ironic fashion. I think that it's targeting those who are probably like the worker bees and not necessarily those enforcing it. But um, you know, I think all of us were just doing more at this hybrid, whether we're hybrid or full-time work from home, whatever it may be, we are all like kind of 
overstretched and and um, working long hours. And so I think this is a, a fun and something that probably resonates with a lot of people. I do like they also followed up with a New York Times piece as well, kind of just really suggesting the impact and, you know, that we need sleep and we need to disconnect and we need family and friends and connecting in real life with people. Um, and what, you know, what's better to do that than over a beer. So interesting, um, as I mentioned, you know, did this with publicists, I'd say agencies are notorious for terrible working hours. So maybe it was um, broadcast outside their buildings too. Who knows? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I, I think this is fun. I think it's, it, it's interesting. I think it's very much in line with the Heineken brand uh, about, you know, sort of getting together with friends and making time to, you know, celebrate life and, you know, um, enjoy a good beer. And, and, you know, I think Heineken's always, you know, if you look historically over their ads over the years, you know, they're very much about the holidays, you know, they do a lot of Christmas, you know, promotions and ads, you know, and, and other uh, different times for celebrations throughout the year. And and so I think I like that they're kind of doing this. Um, you know, I think it's an it's an underused um, tool in, in the uh, in the toolbox to do uh, digital projections. I think they're you know relatively easy. You can pop them up at kind of anywhere on any building, you know, in any space, pretty much, um, you know, with relatively you know relative ease and relatively low cost, um, because you you know it's not like you got to bring in digital screens and you know things like that. You're just doing projection mapping, um, you know, with lights and lasers essentially. Um, so I, I think that, you know, it, it's, it's great that they're doing this. I like the whole campaign of the closer and all of that, that they put behind this. And I echo what you said. I, I like that they you know, they still attract the nine to five audience, those that aren't working late with, you know, a print piece in the New York times, um, and, uh, you know, try to tie it all together. And, you know, I think it would be, you know, I, I'm assuming there's some, because, you know, we're talking about it, but I'm assuming that there's some sort of social amplification happening around this campaign as well, you know, where people are, you know, hashtagging the closer or something like that and posting about it. Um, because I think it, it, it lends itself to that, uh, type of engagement and sharing. So I, I, overall, I've got nothing bad to say about this one. I like it. I think it's, it, it, it's simple and it's easy and it just drives home the message of, you know, get out and, you know, go share a beer with some friends. So, Good on you, Heineken and Publicis. All right, on to our second story now. So there's a platform out there called GeoGuessr, and this has been around for a little while now, since in fact 2013 uh, is when uh, GeoGuessr was first launched. And if you're trying to spell that and look for it, it's G-E-O-G-U-E-S-S-R, no E-R on the end, just R. Um, and I think it's an interesting time to talk about a platform like Geo, GeoGuessr because, you know, we're in this sort of world and space right now where there's a lot of discussion about metaverse and virtual worlds and all of that. And the premise of GeoGuessr is really the idea of taking something like Google Maps and Street View, you know, two platforms that we're you know very familiar with, and then just randomly dropping a pin somewhere in the world um but you don't know where it is like there's no labeling there's no context to it you're just seeing imagery and you're the goal is that you're trying to guess where in the world is this place based on the images that are coming back to you 
Um, and, and, and so I think that's very interesting. And so, you know, they, you know, they, they give the example, they say it's 3 PM in London, you've just had lunch and you're bored and you're slacking off and you decide to take a 10 minute detour, you know, from the office and, you know, go check out Bali, uh, or someplace that you've always wanted to travel to, um, and things like that. And, and so I, I think it's interesting. And they said, uh, Google reported, now this is a bit old, but they said back in 2018, Google uh, put out a report that said people have dropped themselves into random places using Maps, the Maps Dice feature, 190 million times in that year, uh, you know, prior to, to them putting out those numbers and reports. So I think, you know, it, it, it's something we all do. We all like to sort of daydream and pretend that, you know, we're, we're going to different places and, you know, sort of envisioning what, what that looks like. And so now GeoGuessr, um, you know, um, is kind of play, takes, takes that to the next level in a gamification model, right? It's all about now, instead of you knowing, you know, I've just zoomed into Bali and that's, you know, I want to see what that's like. It's, you know, presenting images, uh, random places, uh, and you know, there are landmarks or there's a type of sand or trees or signposts or something, some sort of hints, some sort of clues. And you're trying to earn points to try and guess, you know, what this location is. And some people apparently are really, really good at playing GeoGuessr. Uh, there's currently 30 million people that play it on a regular basis, uh, this game. Um, and, um, it's getting a lot of attention lately because they've added some paid features now. Um, so it's sort of back in the, uh, in the, uh, sort of the hot spot, if you will. Um, there's a, a person called geo wizard, which is the current champion on GeoGuessr. Uh, he has well over a million subscribers that follow him on YouTube as he's able to figure out where he's in within just a few minutes. Um, another one of these uh, top players is called uh, Geo Rainbolt. Uh, I guess these are all sort of, you know, pseudonyms or whatever. And he can predict, uh, I don't know if it's a he or she, they can predict who, you know, uh, where they are based on the aesthetic of telegraph poles. Um, so there's all, all kinds of different ways that people are using this and cluing in on this. And I think it's kind of fun. I have to admit, I've never played it. I'm now going to go try this thing out and see, see what I can do with it and how many points I can earn and, and how many puzzles I can solve. But I think it's fun. We're, we're all inquisitive people and, and we're all trying to figure, you know, we, we like to play games and we like to do things like this. And, you know, if there's a free version and now a paid version, um, I think it's interesting. And especially as we enter a world where we're all talking about virtual world and virtual travel and the metaverse. Thoughts, Abriana? Yes, I do think it's fun. I like that it's, um, you know, something that you can come back and do. So it's that recurring kind of model, uh, I would say very similar to like Wordle. And I liked how the New York Times described it when they said it's a combination between a treasure hunt and a crossword puzzle. And I'm a big fan of crossword puzzles. So <laughs> I think this is also something fun because you could probably get the whole family involved and do something very simple like on a daily basis. And you can kind of explore something new. Um, the other, you know, we've talked a lot about all of these, um, not necessarily like treasure hunts, but kind of virtual tours, virtual learnings, you know, kind of dropping those like cookie crumbs, digital cookie crumbs in places when you are actually there. But I like this because you don't have to go anywhere to do it and you can do it from your living room. It's available on iOS and Android. You can play it on the app store. I think you can even play it, you know, just on your computer. So 
I like the accessibility around it. And then the direction for the future, as you mentioned, like, can we play this in the metaverse? Can we actually go and, you know, if that's your, your jam, then you can maybe try doing that in the future. So I think it's fun. I think it's somewhat educational, you know, and I like that it's like a snippet, you know, it's a quick little game you can play. I'm sure it can take a long time as well as does Wordle at times. <laughs> um, but yes, I think that it's a, it's a great model and anything that keeps people coming back and guessing, it's always great. So. Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's move on to um, kind of more like the vendor partner news here. We've got a company we've talked about before, Radar. Uh, if you're not familiar with Radar, they are, um, you know, POI data, places data, geofencing um, is really what they're focused on. And their aim is to really be the best geofencing uh, platform providing those capabilities. Well, they have a product that's called Places, which is they tout provides nearly 100% of coverage for top chains, such as like retailers, food chains, um, and categories. And it does that by ingesting, harmonizing, curating all this point of interest data across different data sources. So probably some licensed data sources, some, um, you know, open maps kind of data sources and pulls it all together. Well, now they've released this Places Matching to help improve that point of interest data um, and this is important because if you think about a lot of times when people, um, businesses, whoever are creating these geofences, you're talking about, you know, you're drawing a circle. It's a radius around a specific lat long coordinate. And a lot of times that's not what businesses look like. Their footprint is very much a polygon of some sort. And so being able to direct uh, customers, if you will, to the right entrance or the right pickup point or to be able to track customers and footfall traffic going in and out of certain places and make sure that's accurate across multiple locations um, can be really challenging. So this is all aimed at providing and, and improving those more precise polygons, improving that accuracy, and just making sure that everything is as up-to-date as possible uh, without those you know, businesses having to do that on their own. So um, obviously there's lots of applications here, but this is tapping into Radar's Places data set. It's available on that platform. And, you know, I think of this in essence is like the way to maintain those geofences, similar to how we think of like Yext for maintaining those local listings. You want to make sure that all of the data that surrounds it is accurate. Reminds me of a lot of the work that um, our friends, LBMA friends, also from Australia, Blue you know, Blue Dot. I was like Blue Point, Blue Dot, you know, very similar offering there. Um, but I like the idea of just like improving that data. Point of interest data is very complicated. It's very hard to keep up to date. There's so many different sources of that. Um, so I think this is a this is a need. It's it's not like sexy to talk about. It's not super exciting, um, but it is really important, you know. And especially when you think about metro areas being able to get into the right entrance or the closest entrance or how to park and and do um, any type of pickup or drop off. Um, I think this is valuable. Yeah, I think it's incredibly valuable, um, it, you, you know, and I think, you know, in terms of the two companies that, that do this really well, you know, you've got Blue Dot and Radar, you know, both are sort of, you know, head to head competitors in, in this field uh, when it comes to, you know, SDKs, you know, sitting in apps, collecting data, you know, and, and then on the uh, POI side of things. So I, I like that they've got this sort of place matching. You're absolutely bang on, you know. Most businesses are, you know, just simply drawing that little, you know, radius circle and defining that when in fact, 
the vast majority of businesses and properties are not circles. They're, you know, polygons, they're shapes that define, you know, the perimeters of those buildings or those parks or those, you know, spaces, whatever they might be. Uh, so I think doing that well and, and having that set out, you know, um, in the way that they're going about it here with this place matching, I think makes a ton of sense. You know, it's interesting, as you were talking, um, going through my head, you know, in the, you know, early days of the LBMA was a company that, you know, was in the business of predefined geofences and, you know, had addressed this, a company called uh, Maponix way back when, if you remember those guys, Darren Clement and company, uh, ultimately, I think they sold to Esri. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's a problem that's been there in our industry for a long time, right? Um, and I think more and more now, you know, you, you, you need to, to have, you know, your data structured in this way, right? It needs to be predefined. It needs to be set up, you know, for that location, that space, that property, you know, in whatever way. And not even just singular properties, but, you know, it, again, kind of drawing on the old days of Maponics, but like broadening that to, you know, this is a shopping district, this is a school district, this is a whatever. And, it's, and so you have sort of predefined geofences that have, you know, smaller ones within it. Right, um, and kind of zones, uh, if you will. So I think there's a lot here uh, in what Radar is doing, and, um, and and their approach to it, I think, makes a ton of sense. And so yeah, we're, we'll uh, we'll see them soon. And uh, while I'm on the topic, if you're um, an LBMA, you know, uh, follower and listener for a long time, you know, we also run a conference uh, called Retail Loco coming back in person. This October uh, 26th and 27th in Atlanta. And Radar will be one of the, the key uh, presenters and sponsors uh, at that event as well. So you can meet them in person and hear all about uh, how place matching uh, for POIs works. Yep. All right, final story now. We're gonna jump uh, you know, out of the, uh, the data side of things and into retail. Um, and H&M Group, has partnered up with Amazon to uh, test some new tech and get their sort of stores into the 21st century. And they're starting with uh, their cost stores. That COS, if you don't know the brand, it's kind of like at the sort of higher end of the H&M family of, uh, of, uh, of, of brands. And um, so they're testing their first, what they call the M an Amazon style store, a cost store, you know, sort of layered in with Amazon tech. And this includes a number of different things, seamless payments, personalized styling recommendations, faster checkouts, upgraded delivery and returns. So there's a lot going on here. The first pilot store is in Beverly, Beverly Hills, California. And um, it's got things like, you know, sort of smart mirrors that we've talked about before, but even things like where when you bring uh, a, a clothing item into a change room, it can then identify it by size and color and make you know other rec other recommendations to go alongside with that on this on the uh, store floor itself. Uh, there's you know virtual try-on technology um, happening when a shopper brings a clothing item near one of these smart mirrors. The item appears on the screen uh, again along with styling recommendations. Um, so there's a lot happening there in terms of you know personalized not so much personalization but recommendation engines behind the scenes uh, and sort of you know tying that into the smart mirror technology. Uh, one of the other things I really like about it is customers can share a link uh, to an item through so, so, uh, through their social media, sorry. 
so you can get sort of comments, if you will, from friends, you know, that you might be connected to on social media. Uh, and then on the, um, on the payment side of things, they've got, you know, sort of, you can check out directly with a sales advisor from anywhere in the store um, and other just ways to speed up sort of the, uh, you know, the payment processing and things like that. So there's a lot happening here. Basically, they've taken sort of the best of breed technologies that we've talked about, you know, in isolation, um, you know, uh, from different, uh, different retailers and different uh, vendors that we've seen out there. Uh, and kind of put it all together in one piece. And the last thing I want to share about it is is they also have integrated uh, with this the Amazon shopping app. So you can walk, customers can walk the store, you can scan an item's QR code, you can see sizes, color, overall customer ratings, and other things about the product from the QR code scan uh, as well. So there's a lot happening here. Um, and for now, it's one cost store in Beverly Hills, California, where they're kind of testing this all out, see whether it makes sense. For their chain. Yeah, I think exactly what you said. Let's see if there's a lot going on here. Um, the one piece that stands out to me is the Amazon app integration. Most everybody has the Amazon app. So I like the idea of just, you know, integrating with something that's existing. Um, to me, this is very much a play in Amazon taking a step and going beyond their own stores and trying to um, integrate with other retail locations, not only because they could probably provide them these services and this technology, but they also get a lot of data back and then they can retarget you for all those other things that you buy via Amazon. So right. uh, for me, this is a very much like a data play and getting purview into consumers' lives outside of the Amazon app. Um, so I think that's really where this is headed, but um, smart move. Yeah, I, th I think it's a smart move, definitely for Amazon. I think it's, you know, there's a lot of data to be gleaned, you know. Um, it, it's interesting, right, because constantly now there's these battles, you know, about, you know, what's too much data, what's, you know, appropriate data. Um, you know, and I think these are things that need to be navigated, you know, when Amazon's, you know, coming in and doing this this type of thing. And I think if you're a, a fashion retailer like H&M, um, you know, you're not getting that data as it is, right? So, you know, there's a bonus there, you know, for them if Amazon's willing to share, you know, what's happening with this and, and, and the data that's being collected in this, then I think you're you're both coming out ahead. It, it is a win-win, right? I, uh, I think, you know, from a data point of view for both the retailer brand side of things as well as for Amazon. So, yeah, for yeah. the consumer, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's to be determined whether or not we want to shop this way. Um, but I think there's a certain generation behind you and I that the idea of like smart mirrors and recommendations coming up and quickly sharing that with friends and getting opinions and all of that kind of stuff, I think makes sense. I could see my daughter walking in, pull something up at the H&M store, or see it in smart mirror, she's on Snapchat, it comes back. I mean, yeah, I could see it, right? It's not for me, but I can see it. Uh, the only smart mirror I want is the one that makes me look better. That's what I want. Uh, come on, Ariana. You look great. <laughs> All right. Well, um, that's our show for this week. It's been episode number 580 of Location Weekly. We thank you as always for your time. Uh, please let us know if you have story ideas. Reach out to us. Feedback, criticism. We want it all. Um, and we'll see you next week with another show. Have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.